Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Romans chapter 3, uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 today. As we looked at chapter 2, Paul was making a case that the Gentiles were just as, or not the Gentiles, the Jews were just as sinful as the Gentiles. That they needed the gospel in the same way that the Gentiles needed the gospel. Uh, that that uh, they needed to repent and that they were sinners uh, just in the same way that the, um, uh, the, the Gentiles were sinners. Uh, remember, uh, the Jews were very glad to hear all, all those sins listed of the Gentiles. And he, they, they'd be like, preach it, preach it, Paul. You know, you tell them until it was turned on them, right? Um, well, in chapter 3, what we see here is um, some um, objections that uh, Paul anticipates from uh, the Jews about this, uh, about this fact. Um, uh, and... and, and Commentaries talk about this as a form of a, uh, of, a, of a dialogue where Paul has this dialogue with a, a so-called imaginary dialogue partner. But I don't really think it's so much imaginary as it is. These are probably arguments that Paul heard from, uh, from Jews who objected to his preaching whenever he would go to the synagogue. Uh, he had, had gone to the synagogues and tried to persuade people that Jesus was the Christ. He had preached the gospel in these synagogues. And so as uh, he got kicked out of synagogue after synagogue, these are probably the kinds of responses that he had to the gospel message. Um, so let's go ahead and look at our text, uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Must much in every way. To begin with, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though every man were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But, or, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to, to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For how then could God judge the world? For if through my lie truth abound, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned a sinner, as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charged us with saying, their condemnation is just. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, Lord, these are hard words. Um, Lord, there's, uh, there are many scholars who have said this is a, a very difficult passage. And um, Father, I just uh, pray that you would help us uh, bring, bring enlightening of the Holy Spirit and 
uh, help help me give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech as we as we look at the this passage uh, of your word. And Father, we, we, I just pray that uh, not only would we would we go over the words, but Lord, your Spirit would unite with it, and uh, Lord, it would affect our lives, Lord, that it would affect our hearts, Lord, that your word would be a, a surgeon's scalpel upon our hearts, cutting away uh, our sin and our uh, preconceived uh, ideas and, um, and Lord, putting in your truth. Father, be with me, give me strength and grace as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as I said, Paul had been in chapter 2 leveling the case that the Jews were just as much sinners and in need of the gospel as the Gentiles were. Uh, He he said that, uh, that having the law was no guarantee that they would be saved ultimately. Uh, but they, they had to have a, a circumcision of the heart. And, and circumcision, just being a Jew, was not enough. They had to have a circumcision of the heart. Uh, it was not enough. You couldn't just have the law. You had to do the law. You couldn't just have an outward external appearance, but you had to have an, an inward heart change. And so... Uh, you have this uh, Jew, uh, this hypothetical Jew um, who comes to Paul and he says, then what advantage is there to be a Jew? Or what value is the circumcision? Is there any value at all? I mean, God commanded these things. Is there any value in them? Paul says, yes, much in every way. And that's not what we expect. In chapter 2, I mean, didn't he just tear down? Didn't he just seem to be tearing down all the value of that? Uh, well, the, the only reason it's un, not valuable in chapter 2 is because even though they had the law, they didn't do it. And even though uh, they had circumcision, they weren't circumcised of the heart. But there is an advantage, Paul says, of having the, the word of God. Um, Paul says uh, much in every way to begin with. And when he says to begin with, uh, it sounds like he's about to give us a list, doesn't it? It sounds like he's going to give us a list of all the advantages there are of being a Jew. And yet he only gives us one. Now, I'm thankful that uh, that scholars that are more competent, competent than I have written uh, uh commentaries and uh, I, I was able to listen and benefit from other people. Um, the fact is, if you get to chapters 9, 10, and 11, he lists out some more of those that would go on this list. But for right now, he just goes with the first one, the, the number one reason. The number one reason that uh, there is an advantage to the Jews was that they, it says, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, uh, again, I'm indebted to others as I think through this. Um, it, it isn't just that they have God's Word, special revelation. Because like we said, they, last week when we talked about it, and the week before when we talked about it, if they had God's Word and they didn't do it, then it wasn't worth anything. But I think whatever it says, they have the oracles of God. I think maybe what we, the way we should understand it is they add the promises of God. 
They had the promises of God. They had the promise that God had spoken to them ever since the time of Abraham. He promised that he was going to send a son for, uh, well, he, he promised that Abraham would have a son and that he, his children would be uh, as many as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. He promised that one day he would have a son who would be a king. And David, he had this promise that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever. The Jewish people, it wasn't of no advantage of all, but there was a great advantage. They had the promise of God's salvation. And this promise wasn't just for themselves, it's for the whole world. Because of what, what, the, what God did through the Jewish people, He promised salvation that, that Satan would be defeated, that death would be defeated, that sin would be defeated. That was the advantage that Paul points out that there was for being a Jew. It, it's that they had the promises of God. As we look at Romans 11, we, re, we, we can remember that um, it's not, we were a, a, a wild olive branch that was grafted in. We're not all on our own here as Christians, but we were grafted into God's people. It's the root that supports us, not the other way around. And so there was a great advantage. And I think also in chapter 11, there's reason to hope that one day, I mean, Paul says in chapter 11, all Israel will eventually be saved. Well, I think in the end time, when, when it gets close to the time when Jesus returns, there will be a mass revival among the Jewish people, I think. Right now, uh, Paul says there's a partial hardening until the, uh, the last of the Gentiles come in, until the, full of the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And so I think whenever the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 11, then it will be that there will be a, a mass coming to Christ among the Jewish people. And so there is a reason. God has not abandoned His people. Uh, in uh, chapter, uh, I think it was chapter 9 again, where he says, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now it is it is not, you know, just being a Jew was not enough. But they had God's promises. And God's promises were of ultimate value. The next objection that Paul gets. What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? And Paul here is saying, well, not Paul, but this arguing partner he has, well, what about all these disobedient Jews? Does, it, does the fact that some are going to be judged, does that mean, and in fact, I think most of them were disobedient, they did not believe in the gospel? Does this then nullify God's promise? Does this nullify God's faithfulness? Is he going to give up on them? And as I've already been arguing from chapter 11, no, he's not giving up on them. Uh, Paul here says, by no means. Their unfaithfulness, their disobedience does not mean that God is going to go back on His promises. He is not going to be unfaithful. Instead, he says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. That is written, as it is written. Paul, it is unthinkable to Paul 
that God would be unfaithful. God will be faithful to His promises. He will be faithful to His promises. He was faithful that He rose Jesus from the dead. He is faithful that He has saved us from our sins. And He is faithful. We can count on Him that when we die, if we have trusted in Him, He will raise us from the grave as well one day. And we will be with Him forever. He is faithful. And, and if we can believe Him for that, we, we know he, he is going to be faithful to His promises to Israel as well. Let God be true even if everyone were a liar. We all sin. We all lie. We, we all do things that, that uh, are sinful. And yet God, He will always be true. He will always be faithful. And Paul quotes Psalm 51 that Amanda read this morning. That you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Paul uh, quotes um, David and David says, against you and you only have I sinned that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. I think what David there in that original context was saying is, I have sinned against you and you are totally just if you judge me and send me to hell. Is what David says. But he's gracious and he doesn't and he's faithful to his promise to David. In the same way, I think Paul here says even though everyone is a sinner, God will be true. And He is justified and He is righteous when He judges. And He is justified, He's righteous, and He is triumphant when He judges. Verse 5. Here's another objection. But if our unrighteousness serves, serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? This is difficult. The way we untangle this, what does He really mean by this? Uh, but if our unrighteousness show, serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? I, again, I, I, I am not original here. I've gotten some help from others. And I think that probably the best way to understand this God is shown righteous when He judges sin. He is shown righteous when He judges. Not only is He shown righteous whenever He saves us in His saving righteousness, but He is also shown righteousness, righteous when He judges sin. And when He judges sin, the, those who have sinned are justly condemned, and this glorifies God. It glorifies God to judge sin. And so I think the person who's objecting is saying, well, if it glorifies God that we should be judged, then we're also glorifying God. So then why are we being judged? It's a kind of a, a mixed up argument that Paul sees right through. 
Paul here, after even making this argument, he says, I speak in a human way. He shudders to think that anyhow God could ever be called unrighteous or uh, unfaithful. He says, I speak in a human way. By no means. By no means. For how then could God judge the world? Um, God cannot be unrighteous because He's the one who judges everything. He is the one who judges the world. He is the one who sets the standard for what is right and for what is wrong. He is, he is our Maker. He is the one who tells us what to do and whatever He chooses to do is right. He could never be called unrighteous for judging sinners. And the next question that uh, we have here, number seven, but if through my lie God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Again, this is the same kind of idea we just saw. Uh, Through my sin makes God's glory abound. How does our sin make God's glory abound? Well, in the logic here, it's that uh, God is glorified whenever He judges sin. And, and so, it, again, if, if, uh, if we are judged for our sin, it, 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 for our lies, it, is, uh, it glorifies God that He pronounces judgment and He sends people to hell. It glorifies Him. He is glorified not only in His righteous salvation, but He is glorified in His judgment as well. When He judges sin. And so, the arguing partner that Paul has says, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? If I'm glorifying God, why am I still being called a sinner? And Paul has no time for such an argument. Uh, he, he then comes on to the next question, and why do not, why not do evil that good may come? If, if our sin ultimately glorifies God by His righteous judgment, then let's just live. Like, like, let's just be uh, uh, completely loose and just live however we want to so that we just sin all the more and we'll glorify God all the more. Paul is not saying that to be serious necessarily. He's saying this is what we're being accused of. This gospel of grace, you, you, Paul, you're preaching this gospel of grace, it's going to cause people to just go out and sin, isn't it? If you're preaching grace, then we're saved by grace and not by works, it's going to cause people to just go out and sin all the more so God can get more glory. He says, we're slandered with this accusation. Paul, his answer to that is, their condemnation is just. People who think like that, people who think like, well, let's just sin all the more so that God can be glorified. That grace may abound, as he says later on in the book. People who think like that are condemned. That is not the way. That is is a misunderstanding. That is a distortion of the gospel of grace. 
We are not saved so that we can just go on living the way we always have. We are not saved so that we can just go on living in sin, wallowing in our sin. We are saved from our sin. We are saved so that we can live out like our new, like our new Heavenly Father who has adopted us. And people who have the attitude, who, who make this claim, well, let grace abound. Let me just go out and do, I can just do whatever and ask for forgiveness later. Paul says that kind of thinking is condemned. And what does this all mean to us? What does this all mean to us? Uh, Paul's argument here has been with a, uh, a, a Jewish objection to, um, to his claim that the Jews are just as bad of sinners as the uh, Gentiles are. What do we get for this for ourselves? What do we, what do we need, need from this? I think a couple of things. One, one, first of all, God is faithful. God is faithful to His promises. He promised a Savior from the very beginning, a seed of the woman who would come and crush the serpent's head, and He sent Jesus. And He promises that everyone who has faith in Him will not be put to shame. If we, have tr- if we trust in Him, if we confess Jesus as our Lord, and we, we believe that God has raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. And God is faithful and He will not abandon His promise. That's one thing we get from this. Number two, God is just to judge sin. And we all want that. We don't want it for ourselves. But we want justice done. We don't want injustice done, do we? We want justice done. Think about people that we can think of like Hitler. If Hitler is not judged, then is God just? To our knowledge, we don't don't believe that Hitler ever professed faith in Christ and and turned away from his sin. I believe he he died right in the middle of it. Even he maybe could, but at the same time, such atrocities, we want justice done. We want justice done. We want sin to be punished. And when it is, it shows God's righteousness. God is just. He is faithful to His promises. And He is a just judge. And then finally, We do not want to misunderstand the Gospel. The Gospel is not just some kind of get out of hell free card where we come walk an aisle and pray a prayer and just keep on living how we always have. No, the Gospel calls us to obedience. We are not to sin all the more and do, do evil that good may come. As Paul says, those 
that kind of thinking is condemned. From a text like this, I think we, we need to be encouraged all the more to follow Jesus, to obey Him, to serve Him. Again, not in order to somehow earn our salvation. It's freely paid for on the cross. Jesus paid it all. And yet, if we misunderstand it, if we we think it's just something simple about just saying a few words, we've never really been saved. If we think we could just live the same way we always have, and sin so the grace may abound, it doesn't mean we can ever lose our salvation. That's a complete misunderstanding of the Gospel in the first place. We're not saved by works, but as Paul had argued earlier, we, the, the works are an evidence that we truly are saved. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.